We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have like a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores, the games every day. Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius. Uh, today, we're going to cover a couple of topics. We're, first, uh, we got news of Kyle Kuzma's foot injury. He has a stress reaction in his foot, and that's type of injury where if he were to continue playing on it, that could turn into a stress fracture. So he needs to stay off of his feet. Uh he will not have an MRI until the Lakers get back from China, which should be on October 13th. And that's after their third preseason game, I believe. He's optimistic that he can return before the end of training camp. Uh, but he's going to be out for a little bit, right? And he, uh, you know, it's a little bittersweet. The One of the things that was great about Kuz these first, his first two years in the NBA is that he was pretty uh, – you know, pretty healthy, especially relative to the other young guys. It would be frustrating to see them in and out of the lineup with injury issues. And Kuz did not have that. So he goes into this year, you know, at, with a little speed bump at, at the beginning. Um, you know, obviously, neither of us are doctors. Um, but what from a basketball sense in a very new environment, new role, Darius, what do you think the impact of this has on Kuz and his ability to fit in with this team? I'm not sure about much, to tell you the truth. Kuz was not a projected starter. Um, I think it would be harder for the Lakers if Kuzma was projected to start. The fact that he is projected to come off the bench, I don't expect his role to change too much from what it's been his first two seasons. I think Kuzma's ability to fit in might be overplayed. I think what's most important for Kuzma is how has his game adjusted to what this team will actually need from from him? And, and so maybe that's um, a distinction without a difference. But I do think that Kuzma's strengths are what they are. I don't think he's going to be asked to play away from his strengths at all in terms of how he fits in next to any player based off whatever personnel grouping is on the floor. What I do think, though, is the higher level commitment to defense there? Um, is there more attentiveness on the defensive glass there? If those things are there, I think that Kuzma is ultimately going to be fine. And I think those things were true regardless of how his health was to start training camp. I'm a little more concerned, although I, I think I do tend to skew more toward that. Like it's not a huge deal. My, my biggest concern though are timing related. I think that he's going to be having 
probably a different role in terms of, I think he's going to play the wing a little more, just looking at the construction of the roster. We'll see if that's the case, but he's the guy amongst the bigger players. You know, Dudley's a little too old at this point to be chasing threes around on a regular basis. Um, you know, LeBron is considers himself a three still, but he's really more, more of a four. Kuz has more of the young legs springiness. I can, you know, do some work on the perimeter, especially defensively. And I think that, you know, that's going to be somewhat of an adjustment for him, even though I think that's where his natural talents lie. Uh, his offensive role will be, you know, I, I think it's a little different being the number three guy. And now he's probably coming off of the bench. Even before this injury, that was probably the case. This further cements that. And I, I think that it, it would be valuable to him to learn how to play off of AD uh, alongside LeBron as well. It's just, you know, he, he did a great job of doing that with, with LeBron, but I think, you know, he's going to be more perimeter oriented this year, I believe than last year. I think, you know, while he's a great cutter, I think there are going to be some extra bodies down there on, you know, at least more frequently than, than was the case last season. So I, all in all, I don't think it's a huge deal, but uh, I do think that there's going to be some degree of, of an impact. I'm not sure. While I get what you're saying about LeBron being more of a power forward now, um, just in general, I actually think LeBron's role defensively is going to fluctuate more than Kuzma's. Inter- tell, tell me about that because I feel like I feel like LeBron has become like a ten foot and in type of defender, and like his closeouts are weak. And uh, so I'm curious to hear, like, yeah, what's what's the difference between last year versus this year for LeBron? I think having Davis is going to be huge for LeBron and having a defensive player with the range as a big man that Davis has. Secondly, I think that Danny Green's ability to guard pretty much any of the perimeter positions defensively, I actually think that Green is going to be the swing man, essentially. And I actually think LeBron is going to guard, especially in lineups with Kuzma, I think LeBron is going to guard the weakest of the players between the two, three, and four on most on most defensive possessions to give him the best opportunity to be more of a roamer and a freelance player defensively where those maybe short closeouts don't hurt as much, where he has the ability to maybe um, hunt defensive rebounds a little bit more to be a grab-and-go player. So while I definitely understand your point about Kuzma maybe having to do a bit more chasing around the perimeter than what he's he's used to, I actually also envision scenarios where it will be Kuzma who's actually guarding maybe more of the rangy power forward types and and even bigger power forward types. So I think that in terms of the slotting between like the two, three, and four positions, I think Danny Green will be on the best of the two or the three, the best perimeter player. And then I think if the weaker of the offensive players is the shooting guard, as an example, versus the power forward, Kuzma will guard the power forward. I, I think there's a lot to that. In terms of LeBron, it it matters to me what them being the weaker of the three means. And this relates to Kuzma as well, right? Like if the weakest of the three is a spot of shooter and that's what they do generally well, like that's not the guy that I want LeBron guarding. And now maybe there's a different philosophy of this in a, we need to get through an 82 game season type of respect, then they would apply toward the playoffs. For example, a guy I always think of when I think of Kuz's defensive difficulties is Taj Gibson, because he really exemplifies kind of that four, and he plays a lot of five now, right? But those guys that just lift Kuzma off of his feet with his strength and, you know, that, that Kuz struggles with, you know, on the, on the boards, uh, in, fighting through screens by him, all of the ways in which being stronger than another player matters in the NBA, especially on the defensive end. Those are exactly the types of guys that I don't want Kuzma guarding, but I do think that LeBron can do it. However, is there an argument to be made? Well, you don't want LeBron banging with guys like kind of like baseball. You know how they get to get through 162 games. And then when it goes into the playoffs, you know, strategy will change. What's your approach in terms of how to preserve LeBron vis-a-vis maybe what he's best at? on the defensive end. 
I think it's definitely going to depend on a variety of variables that on any given night, any of them might mean more than the others. And then a week down the line, it might be different again. Sure. I wouldn't imply to like speak for Frank Vogel or anything like that, but I can imagine scenarios where let's say the Lakers are playing Denver, for example, mm -hmm. and um, a lineup out there is Jamal Murray, Gary Harris. You got Millsap. Michael Porter Jr., mm -hmm. Millsap, and Jokic. Okay. And the Lakers are playing their quote-unquote small lineup with Anthony Davis at the five. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think Davis is probably on, on Jokic. And I would bet that Kyle Kuzma might be on Paul Millsap. And LeBron James would be on Michael Porter Jr. See, that's... What I'm worried about is that type of thing. Like Paul no, Millsap I hear what you're saying. abuses I hear what you're Kuz, saying. right? He's a bigger yes. dude than Kuz. And like, that's, that's going to be problematic. And LeBron is built for, and, and I remember, you know, one of the games last year, the game that they won at uh, Staples, LeBron did a really good job defending Millsap. Um, he also did a very good job defending Jokic down he, the stretch. And that's the thing about LeBron. He's, he's still a very good on ball defender, right? Like, and he then, can turn it on. He can turn it on and use whatever of his myriad of physical strengths, right? And I don't. Mm -hmm. And when I say strengths, I don't just mean like his power, right? Mm -hmm. I mean his quickness, his smarts, his anticipation, and how that translates to his ability to get in the passing lane. There's all those well, those things, and it's one of the reasons why I said that it may vary from night to night, and. I have a sense too that that some of this will be dictated based off of direct conversations between Frank Vogel and LeBron James, right? Yeah, Where the thing true. that we think is best or even the thing that Vogel might be leaning towards might end up being something where, where LeBron is saying, no, put me on Jokic, right? He's the point of attack player. Let me bother him and body him and then let Davis guard Millsap. So, right, like there yeah. could be any number of scenarios that play out based off of lineups, time of game, score, right, that mm -hmm. are going to then determine how things go. But I think that one of the things that matters here is the defensive versatility and the fact that LeBron's been very maligned defensively. It's it, well, all of that. That is, I mean, look, they, people will zoom in on, on LeBron regardless. And LeBron certainly had his moments where he was bad defensively. And a lot of times those are effort situations. Then that looks worse than anything else on, on tape. But, uh, he's not nearly as bad as he's made out to be. Right. And th this gets to the main thing I wanted to cover in this pod is kind of conceptualizing what is the best version of this Lakers team on the defensive end? And that's something that, you know, we're now two days into training camp as we're recording this. Uh, Frank Vogel has very much emphasized the defensive end uh, in those first two days, which is not uncommon in the NBA. Um, but that, that seems to be where their focus is. Dwight Howard had a comment about how they f he feels like they could be the best team and defensive team in the league. Good for Dwight Howard. Good for Dwight Howard. Hey, we all got to have goals, right? That's right. Vogel made an interesting comment on media day that was in passing that I actually wanted to zoom in on a bit because this speaks to a key, can you do this in 2019-20 NBA basketball and be successful is he said that they've devised a scheme. And I think I'll get into the details about what I think that means, but I want to ask you about it first, where they can keep their rim protectors around the basket and not have to go out to the perimeter to chase around guards and you know do all of that. I assume that Anthony Davis is not included in that because Anthony Davis has a lot of perimeter defensive ability and he'll be playing the four for a decent amount of minutes alongside those rim protectors. But I, I just want to ask you about that concept in general. Let's specifically narrow it down to Dwight and JaVale. Can in 2019-20, can you construct an effective defense while keeping one guy around the basket in that old conventional rim protector, Roy Hibbert, you know, type of paradigm that Vogel has used in the past? Can you do that and still be effective with how perimeter oriented the league is? I think so. Yes and no. Mm -hmm. um, 
I think some of that is basically gonna, is going to be based off personnel of the offensive team that, that you're defending. Um, I do think it's going to be quite hard to do that. It's going to require a ton of communication, a ton of versatility between, um, the other four defensive players that are on the court and, um, not only versatility, but as I know, noted before, communication and smarts, right? Mm-hmm. Be because how are you going to, you're going to have to make a lot of determinations on the fly of how to switch, when to switch, rolling your coverages a certain way to ensure that your big men don't get caught on an island out on the perimeter, which is just difficult at this point. Um, the way that the NBA has, has evolved forward. My sense is you're a bit skeptical as well, although maybe you'll get into some X's and O's about what that could look like. Yeah, I actually, I'm a little optimistic about it because of Anthony Davis and because the skill set defensively that our guards have, or at least a couple of them do. Now, there's, I, I don't know the term for this, but there's, I, I know that the South Bay Lakers would call this zebra. And I don't know if that was just their term for it or if it's like ice where every team calls it that. But what this, what I'm referring to, uh, these are hard uh, to demonstrate, you know, verbally without any accompanying video. So try to, uh, if you're listening, try to stay, stay with me on this. Now, if say it's Dwight Howard and AD on the court together at the four and the five, if Dwight's man comes up to set the screen, Dwight's going to be in a drop coverage, right? If you've watched my videos, you see me reference drop coverages a lot where you have Dwight hanging back in the paint and uh not coming out. And then the defensive guard, let's say that's Avery Bradley, is his job is to fight over the screen and provide back pressure. So pressure from behind on that guard that's that's coming off of that screen. If you execute that well... And the, you know, the offense doesn't have the proper skill sets out there, which is not uncommon. Ideally, you want to force those guys into those mid-range pull-ups or floaters in that in-between type of range. That's what the open shot is for that guard right there. You've got the weak side pulling in to tag the roll man. Um, it can be vulnerable to bigs who can pick and pop. So if it's Dwight defending Jokic, like you said, you know, Jokic, instead of rolling to the hoop, he's going to pick and pop on that. And Dwight just has too much distance to cover to be able to give a viable contest to that shot. So that's basically an open three. So that's, there are weaknesses and drop coverages for, for sure. But I think the Lakers one through four can switch this because I, I think what the right direction for Vogel to go in is to put AD on their primary pick and roll guy because AD is extraordinarily disruptive in the pick and roll game. And he can cover so much distance and ground that this is what I think Vogel means is, so say AD's defending the guy who comes up to set the screen and you got Dwight defending his guy in the dunker spot, right? Which is about halfway between the, the lane line on the free throw line on the baseline and the three point line, right? Uh, maybe not halfway, but a little closer to the basket. But so Dwight's stand down there. AD's coming up and AD actually switches on to the guard. The problem with that is that you've, AD can cover that guy, right? AD can cover one through five. The problem is like, hey, now you've got a guard that's going to be checking this rolling big right here. And I've been giving a lot of thought of whether or not the Lakers can switch. And what I keep coming to is, you know, the that's not a great skill set for the guards collectively. It's not like Lonzo, Josh Hart, like we had last year, right? These guards who could really switch on those guys. So let's say, let's say it's Rondo or KCP or even Avery Bradley, you know, and he's trying to defend this big that's rolling to the basket while AD is switched out up top. This zebra coverage, which again, I don't know if this is the term that everyone uses, is where Dwight would then switch on to the rolling big as the guard peels off into the other spot, to the weak side shooter. So the way that works is now you've got, you know, Dwight defending that guy or JaVale defending that big. And now the mismatch is AD versus, and it's really not that much of a mismatch, right? Is that it's AD versus the guard up top. So I, I think that the Lakers need to build their defense around Anthony Davis. And what that means is on this team especially is AD's ability to cover ground is special, right? It's something that, um, like I was watching Draymond tape earlier today and 
they go about it in a different way. Draymond is, you know, great motor. AD's got a great motor too, but, it, you know, Draymond's top notch when he's at his best. Uh, and he's, he's brilliant. AD's smart, but Draymond's one of the smartest players in the league. Um, but the net result is basically the same because AD's doing it with this, these incredible defensive gifts. I think that if you put AD in situations where he's the guy that's being asked to cover a lot of ground, you can keep Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee back there to protect that. So I don't know if all of that made sense or not, but um, when Vogel said that, I was like, huh, I wonder what he means and how he's going to do that. When I get a chance, I'm going to ask him specifically, but that's what I think the Lakers, I think that's when they can be at their best. I would also say too, that a different version of that and Golden State did this a bunch last year, if I recall correctly, is um, Zach Lowe, I believe, uses the term scram. Uh, yeah, scram. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a that's where uh, you know basically the guy will drop down. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm I'm, I'm taking taking your spot. But yes, the scram switches. Yes, and and so in rather than just putting one of the issues with um, saying okay, Anthony Davis, you're going to guard the primary pick and roll player, is that most teams are comfortable running pick and rolls with either their four or their five. Now, one of those is a preference for sure, but like, let's go back to Denver, for example. If Millsap and Jokic are in the game, both of those players are comfortable running a pick and roll and doing a variety of things off, off of that. Picking and rolling, picking and popping. Both Millsap and Jokic can both short roll and pass and play make out, out of that or take one like one dribble and get into the lane for either a floater or, or all the way to the front of the rim for a finish. Right. And, and so if you say, okay, well, Jokic is the primary screener. Okay. Um, Anthony Davis, you're going to guard Jokic. If Dwight Howard is in the game and he's on Millsap, they're going to still go run pick and rolls with Millsap right now. It may not be as high ceiling, of an offensive option, but you still get the defense into the alignment that you want. One of the things that you can do in terms of scramming some of these options is Anthony Davis, and and this is where a high level of communication is going to be required defensively at all times regardless, but especially between your two big men, if the Lakers are going to play Anthony Davis a lot at power forward, is can they get in a position where Davis then is sort of scramming his big man partner out of that option? And so you're going to run a pick and roll. Well, guess who's coming up to show on right. that? It's Anthony Davis every single time. Can you explain, before you continue, can you explain what scramming is for the, for the listeners? Yeah, so a lot of times, um, especially in today's NBA, the offense is going to try to pick on a particular player defensively. The reason why I said that this happened a lot with the Warriors is because that player often was Steph Curry. And Draymond Green and Andre Iguodala and Clay Thompson, I think, were, were great at this, but Draymond's the best example because what... A team like the Rockets would do, for example, is they would run screen and roll with Steph Curry's man, right? They're Mm -hmm. not worried about, oh, well, we want Clint Capella to come and set, set this screen. No, what they really want is to get last season, at least James Harden or Chris Paul isolated against Steph Curry. And so they're calling out the action to put Steph Curry into a defensive position where he's going to have to be the showman on a screen and roll. And one of the thing and what scramming is, is that a player like Draymond Green would see the play call. He then starts communicating with Steph Curry, get out of there, basically scram. I'm going to push up into your defensive position. You're going to then rotate out of there either on to my man, who is a big man, or all the way or space to the corner where another bigger perimeter player can then crash down and pick up Draymond's man. And it's basically pre-action switching in order to get your better defenders into the action at the point of attack. And one of the things that you're describing in terms of utilizing Anthony Davis's strengths, that would be, to me, a really good way to start to leverage Anthony Davis's specific defensive strengths if they can 
work that. Again, though, that requires a lot of high-level communication and really smart players defensively because the rotations on that aren't related to like ball movement rotations, right? Mm -hmm. They are Mm -hmm. rotations that, that are happening like right before or in the middle of when plays are developing. Yeah, we use the term read and react on offense a lot. And this is essentially the defensive equivalent is being able to read and react and that that scramming and that's all communication. That's something that you can only really read in the moment. Like you go into it knowing that this is your strategy, but understanding when to do it is a little less codified than it is in other situations. Yeah, there is no because sometimes too, like some of that is going to depend on if Anthony Davis even feels like, can I get there? Right. Like Mm -hmm. how far is he spaced? Is he coming all the way from the opposite corner? Is he cheating with one foot already in the painted area? Does he feel like he's going to get the angle? There are so many variables that are at play when you're running those types of defensive actions to counter the game plan of the offense, especially when they're trying to pinpoint and attack what what the offense Um, determines is the weak link of your defensive scheme. All right, let's take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to discuss the other end of, of this equation on the defensive end, which is the guard play and the perimeter defense. So let's take a quick moment. We'll be right back. Indochino was founded on the belief that you don't need to spend a fortune on a custom wardrobe. They're sending me a custom purple shirt to my dimensions and everything looks better when it's custom fitted. Uh, we've got really high quality stuff and I'm excited to get my, my purple shirt coming soon. Uh, Indochino is the largest made-to-measure menswear brand. They make suits, shirts, coats, and more, and everything is made to your exact measurements for a great fit. The best part is that they're affordable. Almost all of their custom clothing is under $400. The process is simple. Choose your fabric, pick your customizations, and submit your measurements. Your package will be delivered straight to your door in two weeks. You can also get measured and design your suit at your nearest Indochino showroom, or do it all yourself online at Indochino.com. Start your style upgrade now with $30 off of your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Blue Wire at checkout. That's one word, Blue Wire. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, promo code Blue Wire, for $30 off of your total purchase of $399 or more. An incredible deal for made-to-measure clothing. You really have no excuse anymore to wear clothing that doesn't fit. And while we're here, when you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. It's time-consuming, expensive, and there's so many carriers to choose from. So how do you know that you're making the best choice? That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. No matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, your own website... ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface, making them really easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. ShipStation works with all of the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, and even Amazon Fulfillment. So you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. They even offer big discounts on shipping costs. Now any business can access the same postage discounts that are usually reserved for large Fortune 500 companies. You'll always know that you're getting the best deal. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. And right now, Laker Film Room listeners can try ShipStation for free for 60 days when you use the offer code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BLUE. That's ShipStation.com, and then offer code BLUE. ShipStation.com. Make ship happen. All right, so I got a quote to read to you, Darius, coming out of uh, the second day of training camp. Um, Avery Bradley has gotten some rave reviews today uh, at, at media availability from a few different people. This is what Vogel had to say about Bradley. He said, he's the guy that everybody's talking about. That's the one thing that sticks out to me is that Anthony and LeBron look imposing together. That lineup today looked imposing together. Now, for context, uh, Bradley was part of the lineup with LeBron and AD today. It was Bradley, Avery, uh, Bradley, AD, LeBron, uh, who was the big, I think it was Dwight and KCP. So that's pretty good defensive lineup. It's a little on the small side, uh, you know, Bo, um, Danny Green was not a part of it, but you can definitely see how like, Hey, that would, that could be quite a defensive unit. Right. So 
getting back to what Vogel said, he said, when you've got two of the best players in the world competing together and all anybody is talking about is uh, Avery Bradley's tenaciousness, that speaks volumes about what he's been able to show in the first couple of days. Then Harrison asked, how was he impressed? He said, just being in the face of whoever has the basketball. And it becomes very, very clear from coaching against him. I'd say, don't dribble the ball. If Avery's on you, just pass the ball, give it up because you're not going anywhere off the bounce with Avery Bradley on you. But he's shooting the ball well offensively too. He's really shooting just not the corner three, the arc three. He shot it at a high level in Memphis last year and has really grown that throughout his career. And we're going to use him a lot off of screens. So that's some Cool stuff on the offensive end, too. But That's interesting. Yeah, uh, for sure. And we'll get into that, maybe not on, on this pod, but we'll get into that later, especially if that's what uh, they end up doing. But um, I think Avery Bradley is so important for the defense of this team. His ability, you know, he said he's lost 40 pounds. He was always a guy 40. who 40? 40 pounds, right? We should all be so low. Well, you know what it's like to lose 40 pounds. I'm, I'm at 30 now, uh, but, but I'm working on it. Um, 40 is yeah. a lot, man. Like for, for a professional, for a professional athlete, like 40 seems ridiculous. <laughs> like 40 seems ridiculous. Yeah, Bradley that's like 80 even, for normal people. Yeah. Yeah. Bradley just doesn't seem like the type, he, he just doesn't seem like he had the type of frame right, to lose to that much that. weight. Sure, sure. Right. Like Jokic, maybe. Right. <laughs> Someone like that, he can yeah. lose forty pounds. He could, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, he never looked that big, but yeah, apparently he's lost forty pounds. I saw him up close at media day, and he he does look like he's in great shape. Um, he's Good. extraordinarily important because of what Vogel's talking about there. I've been thinking, what are the ways that the Lakers can maximize the rim protection that they have on paper, right? That's a nuts trio, man. That's really crazy. The JaVale, Dwight, and AD, just in terms of, you know, protecting the hoop, getting, you know, getting crap out of there on, uh, on the interior. So what is the imp- impact of that on the perimeter? That means your perimeter defenders can be more aggressive. And those are the types of perimeter defenders that you want, right? You want to funnel guys into there. You want to, if you've got, those that type of rim protection behind you you can play more ball denial you can put more uh, ball pressure that that gets you over the top of screens better all knowing that hey you know if anyone no matter how good you are defensively if you put a lot of ball pressure on guys you're going to get beat from time to time on a fairly regular basis but if you've got those guys behind you and you're still able to stay on his hip that's the big thing is if you can apply ball pressure not getting completely detached you might be your guy might be between you and the basket the offensive player which is not what you want but if you can stay on his hip that that makes things very difficult especially when he's going into the land of the giants down there and so uh, I'm curious from a defensive perspective in terms of being able to put pressure we know that that's kind of Avery Bradley's calling card what do you see from the rest of the roster about their capability to kind of heat guys up on the perimeter? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you would probably know more based off of the tape that you've been watching, but I think that the three players who come to mind immediately are, are Bradley, of course, um, KCP, Danny Green, and then I'll throw in a fourth player and that's Alex Caruso. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, those are the Lakers four best perimeter defensive players. And the ability of those guys um, who all have decent to good size, very different, but varying like physical strengths, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think what you're describing, I think it suits their games best. I'd be very interested to hear your thoughts specifically about Danny Green. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's the In one this, I got the most to say about. Yeah. I have concerns about KCP at the point of attack, but KCP is also a very good lock and trail player Mm -hmm. which i think can lend itself to be someone who threatens the passing lanes Mm -hmm. a little bit more um and i i really love caruso's size at the point of attack even though he doesn't have long arms or is really known for having like great quick quick hands i think his size at the point point of attack is is going to be useful i certainly do agree with what you're saying and with the guards and how their combination with the big men, specifically if they're playing drop schemes, they're going to need to get over the top of screens. They're going to need to be able to provide back pressure. And to me, those are strengths of, um, or those can be strengths of guys like KCP and Alex Caruso, Green and Bradley. I think Bradley, just like you said, though, is going to be super 
super important because he is super physical at the point of attack. And I think when you can be physical at the point of attack, it makes you harder to screen. It makes it so that you can turn guys before they get to screens and make them less effective and blow up plays without necessarily forcing a turnover, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Now, let's get into those three guys because they all have distinct and complementary defensive abilities that like I, I could really see this working out, right? And Caruso, I'll, I'll get to him in a moment, but let's focus on Avery Bradley, KCP, and Danny Green. Now, as you said, Avery Bradley is, is a, an excellent point of, point of attack defender, which if you're not familiar with the term, it just means on the ball, right? Like defending the ball handler, the guy who's trying to initiate the action of a play, right? He's he's at his best when he's on the ball. KCP is at his best in lock and trails, which means KCP is at his best when he's defending those shooters that can come around screens. He's historically been one of the best defenders on, on Steph Curry, for example. Uh, on lock and trails, your job is to get behind the shooter and stay on his hip. KCP's fast. We don't talk about that very often, but KCP's like, and he is aggressive. He will jump passing lanes, uh, and get out into the open court as a result of being aggressive and using his speed that way. That applies in a less highlight driven, you know, than jumping a passing lane, getting a steal and dunking it on the other end. But that ability to stay attached to shooters is that's his job. So you got Avery Bradley on the ball handler, KCP on the shooter. And then that leads to Danny Green. Now, Danny Green is not that type of defender that Bradley or even KCP or Caruso are from the respect that Danny Green will get beat off of the dribble if he puts ball pressure on guys. And that was something I was kind of surprised by. That part of that has to do with his height, and he has kind of like a high center of gravity, um, but he will get beat by guys with a quick first step. So ideally, you don't want him defending guys in space. Two things that he does really well, and this could overlap with Bradley, is that if teams are attacking via pick and roll, he's really good at going over screens, uh, has really good technique, and the size that he has provides really excellent back pressure, right? Where I was talking about staying on a guy's hip, he will stay on that guy's hip and will provide, you know, that high hand as he funnels him into our shot blockers. One quick thing too, Green mm -hmm. is also, he also exhibits tremendous timing as a shot blocking guard. And that goes to my next point. Go ahead. He is exceptional. Like one of the things I'm going to miss most about Lonzo is his weak side defense and how his ability to read and like drop down. And Lonzo is a good, you know, good shot blocker as well. Um, Danny Green provides a lot of like what I'm going to miss about Lonzo defensively. Lonzo's better on the ball than Green is, but that, that shot blocking, he has a tendency to overhelp. But in this whole construct of Bradley on the ball, KCP on the shooter, you want Danny Green as the guy who's tagging role men. You want him on the weak side because if he's on the weak side, he's able to cover two. He's able to close out. He's really good on closeouts. And that's a place where his size and length is really beneficial. But those are kind of the three perimeter roles that are most important on the perimeter, you know, for, for those guys one through three is the ability to defend ball handlers, defend shooters off of screens, and then be able to help from the weak side on your pick and rolls and your different rotations. They've got one guy each that is really good at each of those roles. And Caruso has probably the most versatility amongst them on on their ability to do that. Um, I, I like Crusoe best at his point of attack. I think he's he's okay at locking and trailing. I'd say he's below average at that. And then on the weak side, he's pretty good. Like he's a lot of guys, you know, Danny Green, Crusoe, guys like that, they're smart and they know what the other team is running so they can make reads and anticipate in ways that other players can't. So, and beside Bradley, I feel like, and I haven't seen enough from Bradley in like switching or on um, as sort of a crash down defensive mm-hmm. player, right? To help on on the glass. But Danny Green and, and Crusoe are, are both sort of like willing to mix it up and have mm-hmm. a physicality to them as, as guards, which I think helps them in sort of that weak side um, rover tagging, um, putting a body on a box out sort of play that needs to happen from perimeter players who are parked on the weak side as well. 
Yeah, no. And, and so each guy have, you know, there, there are roles to be filled. And then when you combine that with the rim protection, man, like on paper, if it works out and we, we're depending so much on Avery Bradley being able to get back to the form that he was a couple of years ago. Sounds like he's off to a great start and both in terms of performance and, you know, his, his weight and, and his health. That portends well for what that does going forward. But everything I described there, that type of lineup, the weaknesses there are very few, especially once you go small and you've got AD at the five, LeBron at the four. You can even have that lineup, Avery Bradley, KCP, and Danny Green, one through three. That's your best defensive lineup right there because of the versatility. There is some some switching capability in that as well. You don't have Kuz on the court. Um, and I'm really curious to see if there are times where we close games without Kuz as a result of wanting to put that best defensive five. But the point being is that the Lakers can put a really, really good defensive five out there and a couple of different versions of that, one of which would have a big next to AD and then the other would be where AD would be that big. So the Lakers are talking defense a lot. Uh, in the first couple of days of training camp, which is not unusual. But the more I think about it, the more I'm excited about what could be. Well, I think too, that goes hand in hand with some of the stuff that Anthony Davis has been saying all summer. So for example, Luke Walton for his three seasons with the Lakers, he was probably going not 60-40 defense offense, but like 80-20, right? We always had complaints about Walton and well, when's the offense going to get put in, right? Um, But Walton did not have a defensive anchor, the caliber of Anthony Davis. He had young players, right? And so sort of going so heavy defense and trying to build a defensive identity with a really young, young team. That's great, right? You're trying to instill best habits and best practices and build a culture of how you want your team to compete defensively. But with Vogel, and Anthony Davis and, and Davis basically saying like, look, I want to be defensive player of the year. I think the offense is going to come, but our identity is going to need to be built off of our ability to play defense. Like, it's great to say that, but he has the resume and skill and pedigree to back that up on the court as well. And That's so. Right. So I'm very appreciative of sort of the blend that exists between head coach and one of at least star player and how those two can have a meeting of the minds and the potential positive impact that can have in terms of how that flows throughout the rest of the roster. And to put a cap on kind of the best case version of this team defensively, um, this should be one of, if not the best rebounding team in the NBA. They've got a ton of guys that can, that can grab boards at a high level. And I, I think that's, you know, that's going to be a real strength of this team. Now on, on the flip side of the coin, are you seeing anything just on paper at this point? Cause we haven't seen them playing a game yet. Are you seeing anything that kind of concerns you from a, what this team will be capable of on the defensive end? Yeah. I have concerns about switching. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that your ability to switch is almost always going to come down to how well can your point guard do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so um, I haven't seen enough of Bradley, honestly, to say whether or not he's going to be really good at that. Um, I have seen enough of KCP to know that he's not. Rondo too. Rondo as well. Quinn Cook as well. Mm-hmm. And even right. Caruso, like Caruso is not very strong. And so he will give the requisite effort. Photoshop but- disagrees, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and ensuing drug tests disagree as well. <laughs> sure. um, well, I think too that he's working on that. Right. So like all jokes, jokes aside, but yes, to this point in his career, he is not super strong, but he is willing to mix it up, which I think is probably most important. Rondo and KCP have not shown a willingness to mix it up. Right. Right. And, and so, which I think that the, like we talk about having dog in you, right? Mm -hmm. Avery Bradley has dog in him. I think Caruso has some dog in him. Um, That matters, right? Mm -hmm. Lonzo had some dog in him. Josh Hart was all dog, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So, so those things matter as well. So when, One of the things that you'd want to be able to execute down the stretch 
um, especially in lineups with Anthony Davis at center, is switching, if not all of the time, then enough that yes. you can throw off the offense, um, especially in like a crucial possession against a team that is running a lot of screen action both on and off the ball and 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 has a type of shooting one through five to beat drop coverages or non-switching coverages mm-hmm. in general. And right. so where I might have concerns is in this team's ability to switch. And the best defensive lineup that you mentioned probably is not a great switching lineup, it, it, it can be good. And I think that if they communicate well enough via like scrams and stuff like that, they could maybe get KCP out of disadvantageous mm-hmm. situations, right? Like, mm-hmm. okay, like a big is maybe like KCP gets caught on, on a big, can Danny Green get him out of there, right? Or can Avery Bradley get him out of there? Or can LeBron get him out of there? in mm-hmm. order to then keep the composure of your defense where it needs to be and and keep a continuity there so that everyone is in a position where they can be successful. So switching is where I have a bit of a concern. No, I think you're out of the money with that. And I don't honestly have much to add because I think that that's the, the one thing I will say is that Anthony Davis is special to a degree that he allows you to kind of break some rules, right? It's almost like a great musician where, you know, Charlie Parker or Miles Davis, someone like that, where they knew the rules well enough where they understood how it all worked, but they had this, they were touched by something extra to the point where they could break those rules and go off of scale and make it work. Right. And, uh, that, that, you know, Maybe a little overly effusive for AD at this point, comparing him to, you know, Miles Davis or Charlie Parker or someone like that. But he's got that type of talent to get there and he can help. He like I've got a video coming out on Monday, which is when this pod will be out as well, where he's bro. He's like hedging high on screens and then like recovering back to block the lob to his man. Like, how do you even do that? Like you're facing, you're containing on a guard, the guy that set the pick that you were guarding originally, his momentum is going toward the basket. He is rolling toward the basket and you're still able to like plant a foot, take a step, elevate and extend. And now you're blocking that dude's shot. It's like beating a guy in a race where he's facing forward and you're facing backward. How do you do that? Right. And so he has that type of talent. He like some of his closeouts are just like, there's, he's got no business getting to that shot and he's still able to do that. So I think the Lakers can build around that even in situations where they're switching, where he can help them break some of the rules and help cover up for some of the weaknesses. Yeah. I think that's the hope as well. I also, one of the things that we have not brought up at all here too are how do, how do higher stakes impact the competitiveness of the team and their want mm, to do things? Mm-hmm. Right. And Davis has played at a super high level defensively on teams that were you, you know, basically fighting to make the playoffs or at their best versions, they're probably a fifth seed. Right. So Davis has been stuck on teams that have either been non non playoff teams or likely in the 10 through six range. Right. Is can he will higher stakes even raise the intensity a little bit more or raise his attention to detail a little bit more? Will it do the same for a player like Avery Bradley, for a player like Bradley, for a player like like Davis, even for a player like LeBron coming off of last season, is there going to be a, you know what, like we haven't been here at this level in a while or in some players cases ever. So the want to do the extra thing is there a little bit more again. Like I'm not saying that that will be the case. I think it's just an interesting variable to consider within what this team ceiling is on that on that end of the floor. No, this this speaks to a lot of the differences between a young team versus an older team. Like 
a guy like Avery Bradley knows how quickly it can be gone, right? Like Avery Bradley was getting lucrative contract offers three years ago. And now he's at a point where he's fighting for his basketball life. And that's true of a couple of guys on the team, right? And Dwight Howard is another guy like this. And when you're young and you're the number two pick in the draft, like you can't help but think like you've got a 10, 15 year career ahead of you. The urgency is not there. There is always next year. You know, you're going to be around and that you're going to have other chances for a few of these guys on this team. Like these are not, if not last chances, they're close to them or maybe the last chance for a big contract They're And they know they've been in this game long enough to know how fleeting all of this is. So I think you bring up a great point with that. And uh, I I think we should close with that. Uh, Thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast, and we will catch you guys next time. Ains has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Campbell in and out. The ball is tipped and it's saved. Three seconds left. Here's Van Exel. This is for the win. He got it. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. An amazing performance by Kobe. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans well, sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I know Red Arbach is uh, rolling over. Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you That's kidding it? me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? How strong was that? A triple and a fall away in the corner with a shot clock down. Lakers by three. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. And the critical part was Pietras jogging back, didn't bounce the floor. It's a two-for-one situation. Kobe Bryant picked up by Powell. There's the move. Two, one. Listen! Unbelievable. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.